McKinsey Talks Podcast. Hello, good morning, welcome. I'm Denise Barbosa and this is the McKinsey Talks. We'll be talking about crisis management and we'll bring perspectives, facts, and relevant analysis from experts around the globe and how to react to this crisis. This episode will be held in English as we have an international guest and people around the globe in our audience. In today's session, our team of experts will share their experience and best practice and leadership to help managers effectively handle a crisis. Our speakers today are Bjorn Hageman, McKinsey Senior Partner in Sao Paulo and Head of the Organization Practice in Latin America, Hugo Baggi, former International Resources Executive for Rio Tinto, led the organization's response to the Ebola crisis in Guinea, where the company had 4,000 employees at that time. Anita Baggio, expert associate partner with McKinsey in Rio de Janeiro and member of the organization practice. Uh, addresses uh, your question, please address your questions, please, through the session directly to the host indicated here as Q&A chat box. Please contribute. Your participation is essential to us. Let's start it. Good morning, Bjorn. Good morning, Denise. Uh, good morning to everyone. Welcome to the session. I hope everyone is safe and your loved ones are safe and well as well. Um, first and foremost, I would like to say the coronavirus uh, pandemic has obviously uh, placed extraordinary demands uh, for leaders um, in the business and beyond yeah, in society. Uh, the humanitarian toll that COVID-19 um, is taking creates anxiety with everyone, with leaders, with your employees, with the stakeholders of the company. Um, this is an outbreak of enormous scale. It's of overwhelming speed and a high degree of uncertainty. And that creates yeah, disorientation, feeling of lost control, and strong emotional disturbances um, among the people. Recognizing the fact that the company is in crisis is the first and foremost important step for a leader to do. And this is not difficult. This is difficult with this type of crisis, right? You know it's coming. You have a couple of weeks to prepare yourself but still there's very little you can do and you can clearly not stop it. Um, there are very few historic examples of this type of crisis on a, on a lower scale. So the SARS outbreak, uh, 2002, 2003 in China and the Ebola virus and Hugo will talk about that are some of the examples, right? Uh, we all as human beings, um, we have a tendency to normalize, right? Um, we don't understand logarithmic developments very well. Um, and uh, the, the, this pandemic is logarithmic, right? It starts very slow, then accelerates, and it, it gets very fast. This is something very difficult for, for leaders to, to deal with. Bjorn, under this new context, what are the biggest challenges leaders are facing and how they can respond effectively during times of crisis and navigate uncertainty yeah so we believe there are two things you need to take care about um, first and foremost in the short term you need to ensure that your employees are safe number one and second that your business is resilient that your business survives right that's that's in the short term you need to plan for that 
The second thing is um, you need also already to think about the longer term. We believe that after that crisis, there will be something which we call the next normal, right? Which will be a different world. And we believe that leaders already need to invest now thinking about that as well. So what will change for the organizations? What will be different in the future? And how to prepare for that? And uh, is there any framework or way of thinking that can help leaders to act during times of crisis like this one? Yeah. So uh, we, we think about the whole process in, in five phases. Yeah. Uh, so the number uh, step number one is resolve. Then there is resilience, return, reimagination, and reform. You might have seen that framework before. I would like to stress uh, today how leaders should act in the different phases, and particularly how they how they should deal with the leadership in the organization with their employees uh, during this. So if we talk about resolve, um, the first step, we're particularly talking about keeping your employees safe, that's number one, and ensuring business continuity. Ensuring business continuity, obviously, particularly for, for companies that are acting in essential products and services that need to continue. Yeah, food and beverages, pharmaceutical industry, agricultural industry. What needs to happen in this phase is actually adopt everything to prioritize safety, uh, establish a two-way communication with your employees, uh, which has a single source of truth, uh, very clearly coming from the top. And obviously, and this is specific to this crisis, ensure that working from home works. Resilience implies that you actually have different economic scenarios um, and you adapt your company to the development of the different scenarios, always thinking about a through cycle mindset, right? Uh, it feels a little bit uh, like a tunnel we are in. It's a dark tunnel. We don't know how long it is, but we know we come through at one point in time. So you also need to think you will come through at one point in time. There might be a different world out there, but you need to also think about what, what comes thereafter. That means you need to have actually different economic scenarios. You should segment your employee uh, population in terms of critical and less critical roles. You need to have a compre comprehensive action plan which you adapt uh, along the way. Okay. We also believe, and this is um, a smaller comment here, you should also think about um, hiring of people. You might have actually access to people who come to the market which you would have not been able to hire uh, in the past and could be an interesting opportunity for you. If we think about the, the return, um, there are almost like two sub-phases here. One is actually because we don't know how long this phase will take, that you establish an operating model which works during this crisis. New operating model, working from home, um, new processes from the HR, how to uh, evaluate people, how to recruit people, how to do capability building. Physical trainings are impossible. How, how do you train people in this, in this new world? Uh, we also believe it's important to think about diversity and inclusion here. Diversity and inclusion is not only for good times. People will remember if you drop it now. They will not take it serious anymore if you drop it. So think about that, how to do it during the crisis and obviously prepare for the, for the ramp up when you come back, when your factory is open again and you're back to work. And then finally, last but not least, uh, a little bit talked about that, reimagination and reform. There is a lot of burden on the day-to-day -day on the short-term action. 
but we would encourage the leaders also to set a little bit of uh, time aside or a specific team which actually thinks about what are the learnings that we capture during this phase now? What can we actually continue doing in the future which is different? Working from home, uh, more virtual meetings, and a lot of other things which could be beneficial for the company in the long run and could make the company stronger in the long term. Okay, good. And, and Bjorn, for the first time in modern history, the crisis is posing a, a new set of challenges all at once. There are rarely a concern in the past and top teams are called to step up and lead organizations through the crisis with resilience, empathy, pragmatism, and through the cycle mindset. What are the major implications they are facing in the current situation? Yeah. So I would say for leaders, the particular challenge is uh, they have very little time to take very important decisions for the companies, right? There is a high risk of uh, failure if you take the wrong decision. So very little the time to actually take major decisions, which can have economic impact for your company, but also which can destroy, influence negatively your image as an employer or a corporate citizen um, in the world. And we have seen a couple of cases, particularly in other geographies, where yeah, companies have received very negative press uh, for actions they have taken. So this is important. Very little time, very important decisions. So you need to actually have a mechanism in place to take these decisions in a well way. Second, in this time of crisis, people actually look up to their leaders, Denise. They want guidance. They want also to see empathy from their leaders. A lot of the employees are in a very difficult situation at the moment, right? The kids are at home, you need to do homeschooling, your dual career households who need to manage it somehow. We have couples where one person goes to the hospital every day to save lives, the other one at home taking care about the children. It's important for the employer to recognize that and help that employees. This is important and leaders will be recognized for what they did in these difficult times. And they will also be remembered for what they didn't do or did badly in these bad times. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bjorn. Now we have learned what are the most, five most effective responses actions. Uh, leaders need to take during a crisis. Thank you very much. Now I'd like to, to talk to Anita. Anita, can you walk us through the behaviors or practice that leaders need to prioritize to be able to deal with crisis successively? Sure, Denise. So this current crisis has really taken us all by surprise né? to the extent that it goes way beyond our professional lives, né? our daily routines, families, our health, health of our loved ones. It really has shown how interdependent everything is, right? Even how interdependent industries are. Né? And as leaders, uh, we've always been in the spotlight to role model the right behaviors. Right Now that pressure has multiplied. Uh, on several dimensions. So how, how do we lead ourselves so we can actually be at our best, right? How can we lead others as no single person? That's the right answer. How do we reinvent our businesses as the things that we were taking for granted before suddenly don't exist anymore? And then how do we actually go beyond our four walls of the organization and really lead systems change, right? The interdependency are now arising. So we really need to actually be protagonist of also the systems change uh, that we're doing. So 
literally now the decisions that we are making as leaders are affecting people's lives. So they're depending on that, right? But don't go to the panic zone or terror zone, right? With all of these uh, challenges uh, where perhaps, you know, some freeze or some have some kind of aggressive behaviors or other behaviors that you don't want to show, or maybe some try to escape. So here's really uh, a few ideas on, on, on what are the, the five behaviors that we see that really work well in, the, in crisis situations that, you know, leaders can focus on. So the first one is around leveraging a network of multidisciplinary teams, right? So when you think about a routine emergency, it's really important to rely on the, let's say, old command and control uh, style, right? Where you need authority so you can implement a scripted response as fast as possible. However, with COVID, we are exposed to uncertainties on all levels. Yeah? No one has the answer. So you can get all the best experts in the room, but nobody has even collectively the answers, right? So what leaders need to do in the first place is actually clear priorities and boundaries and then empower others. Those others will then discover and implement solutions that serve those priorities. Yeah? There's, we have to move away from the, the hero mindset, right? There's no single hero that can resolve only through collaboration and agile way of working that we can succeed in that newer normal that we're now in. And when I say agile, uh, to not to overcomplicate that term that is, has become a buzzword, what I mean is really daily check-ins and check-outs among team leaders to align the actions, uh, a 30-minute crisis committee with a top team on a daily basis to actually make some of the decisions that could not be resolved on the lower levels. Um, I've seen my, my clients that have been struggling in culture transformations with breaking silos, uh, establishing trust. Suddenly they're building these new muscles of collaboration just within days. So here's a, a, an important opportunity I see, right? And another crucial part of the leader's role in this collaborating with others is to actually being, you know, in this moment of emotional tense environment is to promote psychological safety right so people can openly discuss uh, their ideas questions concern without any fear of, of consequences or hypercussion so the last thing you want to do as a leader right now is that you know people will hide bad news from you right so you have to make sure to not kill the messenger <laughs> you want to have a lot of messages so that you can actually react yeah? And when, you, when I say empower others, it's, it, it really is important that actually leaders will let go of something to be able to make this possible, right? Granting others the authority that maybe you had before. Yeah? Uh, so you, they, these others will be implementing decisions without gaining the approval that you were giving before. And, and yes, these decision makers that you are empowering will probably make some mistakes. So it's really important to choose wisely who will be these decision makers, right? And uh, help them, you know, learn quickly, make corrections without actually overreacting or even paralyzing the organization with some of the mistakes. Yeah? And we see uh, an important quality here is what we call the bounded optimism. So it's a combination of being confident, but at the same time also realistic. Yeah? You will lose credibility as a leader if you actually paint the picture too rosy, right? Um, it, it's important to what we call demonstrate the power of vulnerability as a leader. So you do project confidence, you know, everybody's looking up to you as Bjorn said for an answer, no? so you have to pro uh, project the confidence that the organization will find a way through this tough situation, share what you're doing, 
but at the same time recognize the uncertainty that you're in say you don't know some of the things you don't have all the answers huh? so through your actions that you're showing that you're working towards a better solution but it's really important to also show the power of the vulnerability in this moment but Anita, uh, in these difficult times, how can we both be confident and realistic at the same, same time when taking decisions? There is probably a fine line between humility and helplessness. Yes, Denise, um, definitely I think arrogance right now would be a step for failure, right? So yes, be humble. Uh, no one knows, as I said before, the future. Nobody can even predict tomorrow, right? So, uh, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that you have to wait for, you know, a perfect solution to come out of the oven because, you know, it, 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 it might be too late, right? So right now, uh, humbleness means also to take action. Almost any action is better than no action, right? And then what you have to do through the agile way of working that I mentioned before, establish uh, uh, feedback loops, right? Cycles so you can actually learn and improve on your actions, right? So uh, I've seen actually some of my clients to make them to wait, you know, for the full set of facts, you know, before being able to take some decisions and they were losing valuable time for making those happen, right? And it's important, I don't, I'm not saying that now leaders, you know, don't think about facts, only trust your own intuition. That's also not the case. I think what we have seen is one of the leadership behaviors that's really important embed in your daily routines among all the actions that you're doing some moments of pause and assess right uh, we call it in our leadership training so you have to step away from the dance floor from time to time and actually go to the balcony to observe where you are right and this can mean for some leaders some call moments to listen to your inner voice uh, but very important is to actively seek feedback from others yeah? Um, one of my clients shifted, uh, for example, the, the working hours from eight to, to 12 hours, and they have started calling families of those workers to be able actually to see what kind of feedback uh, they would receive and then acting upon it, anticipating and then acting again, right? So this is the, the cycle. A fourth behavior I wanted to share is, is very dear to my heart. It's about demonstrating empathy. Deal with the human tragedy as a first priority. Yeah? Uh, so right now, thinking about the Maslow pyramid, many of our people's minds go to the basic needs, right? So survival, uh, uh, thinking about, will I get sick, hurt, my family, what happens, will I lose my job? So it's really important as a leader right now, not to outsource those conversations to HR or to the legal department or some kind of hotline that you have established, which are all important things. But this is now the moment actually to show as a leader how you can make positive differences for that you need to listen to listen not just with your ears but also with your with your heart right like you mentioned everybody's living through the crisis in a, in a different way so it's really important to actually you know kind of make sure that you really get to know the other person right and and imagine for a moment the crisis is over i see clients building relationships and special bonds that i'm sure will last way beyond uh the crisis yeah? so um i guess I, I guess all of these are things that are important but when you think about empathy, uh, like you think about the oxygen mask in the, in, the, in the airplane, it's really important to also think about attentive, being attentive to your own well-being as a leader, right? So this is not a sprint, we see it's a marathon. 
for which we've never been trained before. Yeah? So block breaks into your calendars, set up device free time with your family, and make sure you can actually you know, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. Yeah, sure. Empathy is so important now because a lot of people are very afraid. So and we need to understand also how different people take different uh, differently this situation, for sure. Or Anita, now uh, with many employees working from home, what does empathy look like in a virtual world like we are doing here, right? Through the internet without being able to look in the eyes, like face to face. That's true. If I think about a question, like think about the question of how are you, right? a uh, one that we have been using so much <laughs> in our daily lives and now has become a completely got a different meaning. No? So I think it's about uh, when you communicate effectively, actually be the first one to share how you feel as a leader, right? Um, invite others to ventilate also their emotions, even though maybe the topic of the meeting that you're in is a different one and share good practices among each other. So remember, this is not a moment of, of physical isolation. Uh, sorry, it's a moment of physical isolation, not a social isolation, right? So uh, those people that you usually run into the hallways on a daily basis, take some time in your calendar, actually call them up and see how they are. Um, why not set up maybe even a virtual happy hours with your families, right? So it's now is the moment to bring the entire human being to work. Yeah? And, and, and your job as a leader is to be present in those people's lives, even you're working from home and communicate more frequently with customers, suppliers, the board, some audience maybe on a daily basis. How can you actually also empower the people now at the front line in your crisis response team to actually show to the others what you're doing, how are you doing? I've seen a lot of pride arise in the company, seeing of how the company is reacting and also help reduce anxiety. So these were the five behaviors that we have been learning in the crisis. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. We have a question here for you. Uh, and a question from the audience, I'm going to send it to you and I'm going to ask you before uh, hearing to Hugo in this morning. Uh, let's see here. Uh, can you please provide same examples, some examples about what your customers have been doing that needs to be avoided or have a negative effect? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So in, in the moment of when we're saying any action counts, right? I think what, uh, what I have seen is, is a problem if you do the action and kind of release it, right? So that's, this is why the agile way of working is important. The feedback loop, right, that you have to have in place to actually listen and course correct some of the things is, is, is really important. Um, so, you know, don't just act and then forget. It's really important to make sure you, you see and evaluate those actions and actually course correct. We have another question. How do I ensure each audience's concerns, questions, and interests are addressed? So here, I think Hugo has probably a great, many great examples, right? Because as I said, the system is interdependent and we need to uh, uh, really make sure that what we're communicating is coherent. Yeah? So uh, on, on different levels, outside and inside the organization, there needs to be a similar pattern, right? So this is why it's really important to give actually, you know, talking points to the leaders on how you should, what are the main messages of the day, not of the week, of the month, of the day that you should be sharing with your, with your employees and the outside audience. I'm sure Google can share uh, a lot of examples. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you, Anita, very much. So now I'm going to address Ugu Bag, former group executive of international resources at Rio Tinto, or Rio Tinto, as we say here in Brazil, during the Ebola crisis in 2014 and 15. Rio Tinto is a leading global mining company, 80,000 employees globally. 4,000 employees were impacted by Ebola outbreak in Guinea, West Africa, and Hugo was there, and he is going to share with us his experience. Hugo, tell us, uh, what has been the biggest leadership challenges that you had to face due to the Ebola crisis? And are, they, are there any similarities between the Ebola and the COVID-19 outbreak? Well, thank you. Thank you for the question, Denise, and it's great to be with you all. Let me, let me start with the second part of your question. I mean, I think the biggest similarity is that we are living in a world of the unknown unknowns. Uh, we don't even know don't even know what we don't know, and uh, that will last for a while. And whilst the Ebola crisis was different uh, from at least two aspects, um, one it was contained; it was not global; it was contained to a couple of countries. It was more brutal in its impact because the mortality was sixty five percent. So when you contracted it, I mean, one, more than one chance out of two, you would die, uh, which is different in, in today's world. But now definitely there is a, there's a global impact. So the, there, are, there are similarities, which are also the way you deal with it, the isolation, uh, the distancing, uh, the hygiene, hygienic factors are very much similar. And also the fact that companies had to close down, which we see happening uh, now too. Um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the leaders, uh, the, the leadership challenges, I want to build on what, what Bjorn has been saying. And, and I, I will make it very practical out of my, my experience. Yeah, it's, it's, you need to deal as a leader with managing the crisis and the survival of your organization, your business, and at the same time, you need to prepare for the future. And th there are a couple of mistakes that, that one can make. I mean, because we all, as human beings, want to, to be focused on the future because that gives us hope, that gives us perspective, we need to realize that, I mean, working and communicate on, communicating on this whilst the organization is still in a crisis is not helpful. Why? Because the people are not ready for it. If you have families in hospital, if you have family members potentially dying, people don't want to hear about the future of the company. I mean, but yes, you need to be prepared for it as a leader. And secondly, you could install an optimism. And, and I mean, Anita, I mean, discussed this, you could install an optimism that is not warranted. We don't know today how long this COVID crisis is going to last. I mean, you, you can make all kinds of predictions and probably none of the predictions will be right, or it must be by, by pure luck. And, and I, I think what, what is really important, what you can do, and, and both Bjorn and Anita have been talking about that, is to bring structure uh, in the things you are doing, 
to bring stability and an element of certainty. And the certainty for your people is that you will make decisions. And for me, there are, I mean, basically two things that we have done uh, well, I would say, is one, clarity of decision-making and where the decisions are made. And we reduced the hierarchy from five layers to two. There was a global layer in London and a local layer in Guinea, West Africa. And it was very clear that all of the decisions would be made by those two levels only. That was it. Secondly, it was also very clear when the decisions were made. And we had a crisis management committee at 8 o'clock in the morning every day and at 6 p.m. every day. And that also gave us in the time in between to communicate to employees, but also to reflect on the questions and the decisions that were going to be made at those two points in the day. And by bringing that structure in, it brought stability to the organization. Hugo, but what was the most effective response action that you put in place to take care of your employees? Um, I could not point to one, I mean, to, I could point to an action, but together with the action, there is also attitude, yeah? And I think the, the empathy, I mean, is, 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 very, is very important, yeah? Um, the action that we took was to have a single line of communication with a phone call. We need to go back to 2014. Don't, we do also not forget that we are in Africa. So, I mean, internet connections, I mean, were not as they are today and they are not as they are in Brazil today, yeah? So we utilized phone, mobile phones, to communicate with the employees and there was one call every day with all employees at midday. And even when we had nothing to say, we communicated. And that ensured alignment, um, showed that the same, the same messages were communicated to everyone. And we did that actually for 18 months because that is how long the crisis took us. So 18 months. 18? 18 months, yeah. We had a daily communication with all of our employees. And we utilized that for different purposes to bring news. I mean, good news, bad news, but also, I mean, and Björn uh, mentioned this too, to educate people on simple things, hygiene, what to do, what not to do. And, and in a crisis, we need to realize as leaders that the ability of us human beings to listen is reduced, okay? Because we are all preoccupied with our environment, ourselves, our own safety and health, our families. So the ability to, li to listen is actually reduced. So repeating messages does not harm at all. <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about how to wash hands, right? So some things has to be repeated over and over again. But Hugo, looking back now, what would you have done different? That's a very uh, good question. First, I want to say, Denise, we did a lot of things right, okay? So... <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> what, what, what I would have done differently is, is the following. 
I mean, and I saw your reaction on the screen, Denise, okay? The, the crisis lasted 18 months, yeah? The worst outbreak of Ebola before the one that we left was in Congo and lasted four months. All of the other outbreaks of Ebola that we had seen were between three and four months. And we planned actually initially that we would start to go back to work after three, four, maximum six months. And what I would do differently now is really look at different scenarios in a much better and a much more detailed way than we have done it at the time. And our worst case would be really worst case, not just a little bit, uh, a little bit worse than what, what we have typically see, but don't take that, I mean, a crisis is predictable. If a crisis would be predictable, it would not be a crisis, yeah? Because then you can work your way out of it. And this one, I mean, from a three months thinking to an 18 months thinking was vastly different. So, I mean, think in different scenarios so that you're better prepared. That's what I would, uh, what, what I would take away as something that I would do differently now. During a crisis, uh, the top-down leadership doesn't always engender stability. What's your experience at balancing central control with delegating responsibility locally? So, as I mentioned, Denise, kind of, we, we had two levels of decision-making at the global level and at the local level. And my, my take would be is that the local people are the best placed to make decisions. Um, and it's only when the local team is not comfortable with the decisions that the global team, in our case, took over. And I think this was really a nice balance to, to work it out. And, and, and I will illustrate that with with, with two elements on, on, on top of it, yeah. One, we had at that moment of the crisis in Guinea, we had 75 expats with their families. Um, we had to make a decision whether we would send the expats back to their country of origin or leave them in the country. If it would have been for the corporation, probably the decision would have been that we sent everything everybody back. The local team decided that the expats wanted to stay but sent their families back. And by doing so, we created actually a lot of stability at the leadership level, but also a lot of trust because the local people knew, I mean, the company is not going to drop us like a dirty penny. Yeah? And, and I think that that was, that was really that, that was really an important, an, an important element on, uh, on, 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 what we, uh, uh, on, on what we did there and how the authorities were delegated. And the second thing I would say, we had a golden rule that we would never criticize a decision that was taken, even when it turned out to be a bad decision. And we've made some bad decisions, but the line was, that was the best possible decision with the facts that we had at that moment in time. 
And that was a clear golden rule that we had at those two levels. Well, leaders want to come across as grounded and reassuring, like Anita mentioned on her list of behaviors. But there is a fine line between reassuring and saying something that's overly optimistic. How does that play in real life communications? Well, let me give you I mean, one, uh, uh, one example, we were very careful and we scripted the communication carefully on how we would say things. Like for instance, when we were, we got questions, when will the operations reopen? Yeah. And the answer could have been, we plan to reopen it in four months from now. That would have given hope to people that was not warranted. What we said, and luckily we said it that way, we will re-evaluate the situation in three to four months from now. So we did not make any promise that we could not hold um, and, and really be very realistic in, in the things, even when we were as leaders hoping ourselves that we would reopen the operations. I mean, we were very deliberately very conservative uh, because there were so many things that we did not know. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go back to Bjorn now. We have a question here for you. What are the main trade-off business leaders are facing? I think that's an interesting question, Denise. I, I would almost like to say this crisis, I would not talk about trade-offs because it's, it's the end. So you need to think about how to take care about the, your employees and you need to take care about the business resilience at the same point in time, right? As Hugo also said, you need to take care about the short term and you need obviously to uh, communicate particularly on the short term, but the leaders also need to take care about the long term. So it is a lot of work, right? And I mean, talking to my clients, talking to leaders, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people have actually moved to crazy working hours, working seven days a week instead of five days a week. I think this is a test for leaders, right? A lot of decisions need to be made and not, a lot of things to need to be uh, considered short-term, long-term, um, et cetera. Uh, and this is important to actually really think through to build a team, like Ugo also said, to empower a team which helps the leadership of the company to take the right decisions, prepare it, and then stand by it, right? I think that's important to give a direction to the company, think about the scenarios, and then move ahead. Anita, uh, how do we uphold our values and purpose amidst the crisis? Well, I see the moment, I'm, I'm more an optimistic person, uh, but I see really the moment is actually the moment, one of those moments of truth, right? The, it's the moment that we, we will, you need to live those values. The ones that we have, you know, printed on our, our door, on our walls uh, and have been preaching in our communications. Now is the moment to show that these values are actually alive, right? So if you said safety first, it's safety first. And, and it means then probably, yes, buying masks also for your third parties for, you know, really prioritizing this in, in a very practical way. Yeah? Um, so so I, I see that as a huge opportunity. So in those tough decisions that Bjorn was talking about now, you know, 
yes, you might have to do that tough decision to actually, you know, lay off some of your people uh, that you would not like to do. However, uh, there's still a way of how you go about that, right? So this is where kind of the value comes, values come in. So here you have a choice as the leader of how to actually make it happen, even those tough decisions. In terms of purpose, uh, I have been inspired, I mean, looking around the world, uh, you know, of, of companies actually making, you know, everyone can make a difference. Uh, you know, companies have, have, have increased their, their donations, right? Be it providing food, uh, be it actually uh, employees volunteering to make masks uh, at home, right? I saw a perfume company shift to producing alcohol or other companies producing now respiratory uh, machines, right? So, so I think this is the moment again to also go and look beyond your four walls and, 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 and really see what is the impact that you have on the community that your business touches, right? So it, it is a great moment of truth to really practice things in action. Yeah, we had here a beer company producing alcohol too. So it's like a marathon for everyone. So Hugo, uh, on a more personal side, how did you center yourself to deal with the situation day in, day out? That's a, a, very, a very good question. Um, I mean, first, first of all, I mean, to deal with the workload that Bjorn has alluded to, we decided to split up the teams, actually, the teams that were working on the crisis and the teams that were working on the future. Actually, that was helpful for me too, to shift my mindset and also not also to be busy with, I mean, the crisis, because you can be dragged in very quickly in, 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 in reaction mode. The second, the second thing is that I looked uh, for, I mean, for a person that I could trust totally in the organization. So it was kind of an, uh, a buddy uh, where you can share your feelings, your emotions very freely and, and, and really, and we encourage that in, in the company. The, the, third, the third thing is that, I mean, and Anita mentioned this, I mean, have meetings with no agenda point, only with one agenda point, and that is how are you feeling and how am I feeling? And I mean, because otherwise you are in a crisis mode, you're too much oriented towards the actions, the decisions that you want to take and standing still and have that, those moments, at that moment in time, it was by phone, yeah? I mean, have those calls of 10, 15, 20 minutes just to talk about our feelings and our struggles um, that we had is quite, quite important and to isolate that from the rest. And that was really, I'm not saying that is helpful for all people, that was helpful for me at least. Okay, sure, thank you. Oh, Bjorn, we have a... Um, uh, we have a lot of questions. I'd like to apologize to the people who sent questions, but you, you know, our, our time is, is, is up. And I'd like to give you the word, Bjorn, for you to, to do your closing remarks. Okay. Thank you, Denise. And thanks everyone for joining again. Thanks, uh, Uwe and Anita, to be my co-speaker here today. I think this is a test for everyone. It's a test for us 
uh, as a leader in the company, it's a test for us as a member of society. Um, as I said, uh, this is a major crisis. We will get through it, uh, but there will be a lot of uncertainty on the way. I would give you maybe to the audience three um, thoughts from my side, which I feel is important. First, take care about your employees, right? Take care about their safety, take care about them as human beings, set them up for success, right? I think that's the first. The second, take care about your company, right? This is important. The resilience of the company, that the company survives this crisis, this is important as well. And the third one, think about what learnings do you have from this crisis? What, is, what do you want to keep? What will be different, right? The first evidences which we see, for example, agile companies who have done an agile transformation do much better in this crisis than companies which are hierarchical, bureaucratic, slow decision-making processes, et cetera, who has said about how actually he moved his company to some kind of agile format in no time, probably very unplanned, but in a very successful fashion, right? So think about what, what is here to stay for the company in order to be uh, more successful in the future. And again, right, as we said, um, we believe that there is a, that there is a future. Uh, we believe the companies who take and the leaders who take the right decisions now will actually leave stronger from the crisis and be in a better position. Okay, thank you very, very much, Bjorn. Hugo, Anita, it was a great pleasure hearing from you guys today. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. And I'm sure people who are with us on, over the last 45 minutes enjoyed it too. And so thank you. And thank you for you that who is at home hearing to us. And for the full schedule of the McKinsey Talks next week, next week visit www.mckinseytalks.com there you you can catch the previous episodes also in video and tomorrow you're gonna have the episode from today there and also you have uh, our audio on spotify on monday we are talking about the crisis impact in agribusiness chain with marcos savaya junk agribusiness global professor at inspir and nelson ferreira mckinsey senior partner in brazil so Guys, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. I'll see you all on Monday. Bye-bye.